0: Welcome back to the Sully Scoop, where three lifelong Husker bros dive in-depth on all surrounding the new era of Husker football, where our cups never run dry of the roulade under head coach Matt Rule, made by fans for fans, with J-Sull, B-Sull, and t The Sully Scoop is the official Nebraska Cornhusker football podcast brought to you by Big Banter. Joining the scoopers this week, we are bringing on an old friend, Big Dog.
1: Thanks. Glad to be back. Looking forward to another uh, big red football season this fall.
0: So are we, Big Dog, already claiming them, um, you know, the offseason national champs here on the Sully Scoop. But to kick it off today, b so what do we got in stack here?
2: Yeah, j and Big Dog, welcome back. Jason Tsalt, I got something for us here to talk about. You know, with the offseason uh championship banner getting hung already, um, let's turn our things back um back a ways here and let's look back to some uh bleaker times for uh Nebraska football here. And I gotta ask you guys a question here. What are three three times in Nebraska or three things from Nebraska football history that you wish you could go back? and just erase from existence get rid of them could be a bad memory could be a bad hire could be a bad game what would you go back just take out of existence here and you know see if that turns around this nebraska team quicker than what uh we're hoping matt rule does well i'll
3: kick this one off there be Sol, and uh welcome again big dog I'll kick this one off with an easy one for you guys. It's a recent one and it's an important one at the same time. And that's not going after Joe Burrow. What a difference Joe Burrow would have made for Nebraska. I mean, Scott Frost might still have a job at Nebraska if he didn't turn his back on Burrow. You look at what Joe Burrow did at LSU and what he would have done at Nebraska. I mean, it definitely would have kicked Nebraska into a bowl game for sure. I mean, That season, 2019, LSU went undefeated. Everyone knows that. You know, they win a national championship. Nebraska went five and seven. We lost by three points in overtime on the road to Colorado. Joe Burrow would have won that game. We lost 48 to seven against Ohio State. Now, I'm not saying Joe Burrow would have won that game, but he would have kept it closer than 41 points. And come on, Joe Burrow wouldn't have lost to Minnesota, Indiana, Purdue, Wisconsin, or Iowa. He wouldn't have lost to any of those chubs.
0: Now, Joe Burrow on the Husker team also wouldn't have had Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or arguably the DB University in LSU at the time. LSU at that point had the best offense in college football. I think Joe Burrow fell into a gift down there. Even at Ohio State, where he was coming from, he was the third stringer.
3: So you're saying that Joe Burrow couldn't have beaten Colorado?
0: Joe Burrow is not Joe Burrow. He is today if he went to Nebraska. I, that I is what I'm
3: you. saying. Yes, I completely disagree with that.
2: How can you disagree with that? When you look at it, Joe Burrow comes in and his top playmaker is going to be Wondell Robinson. That is a huge drop.
3: Wondell Robinson's the so in the NFL there, be so you might want to But but yourself.
2: He's not top five in the NFL. Because of Kentucky. Because he left Nebraska is how he got in we weren't using him right we wouldn't have been using him right if Joe Burrow came and throwing the ball to a scat back as opposed to Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson is a heck of a lot more different. Big dog what
3: do you think?
1: yeah I uh tend to agree with uh, J sell and B so <laughs> I don't think I think Joe Burrow would have been nice I don't think he's a difference maker with what Nebraska had to back him up. Uh, maybe they get some more recruits in there with him. But again, uh, he, he fell into a sweet situation.
2: <laughs> and and again, and I'm not ta- not trying, none of us are trying to take anything away from what Joe Burrow is and who he you is. You're
0: darn right but, I am. Hold your horses if, right if, there. If Joe, salt, if Joe I Burrow
2: am. came to Nebraska instead of LSU, he would have fallen into a bad situation and he probably would have made it to the NFL and like a sixth-round pick, he probably would have been compared to Tanner Lee. He wouldn't be the number Whoa, one no. overall pick. When you don't look put, at it, no, don't drag when you look Tanner at it, Dave. who is don't he Don't drag in?
0: Tanner's name. Be like so if,
3: you're telling me Tanner Lee could have been the quarterback of that LSU team and they would have won the national championship? With I the have best offense in, in college LSU football. Team. I
2: could Anybody. have been the quarterback of that team.
0: No, I agree with Besol so you
3: Listen here, Joe Burrow would have a statue out front in Memorial Stadium if Scott Frost had brought oh, him in there. Oh, I don't He was think the offensive one. guru, like coined there, that phrase by their j He definitely would have beat Iowa. We lost by no. three points to Iowa. You're telling me Joe Burrow wouldn't I'm, have beat Iowa? I'm not saying he would, he would throw have won the that game. Too. That's exactly it. And when you look back
2: at this Nebraska team in 2019, we had two quarterbacks on the roster who everybody – That was where we started the problem with Scott Frost. You had two quarterbacks. He didn't have one. We were fighting between Luke McCaffrey and an injured Adrian Martinez.
1: And Joe Burrow would have been trying to pass the ball two seconds after it was snapped while he was dropping back.
3: You guys need to check yourselves because you're forgetting all about J.D. Spielman. I mean... You guys just tossed him out the window. And Jack Stahl, another guy who's in the NFL. Nebraska had NFL talent on the team, but we couldn't win yes, any games. There it. is NFL talent on the dubs. There, there.
0: there is NFL talent. <laughs> And then there's top five wide receivers at Justice Jefferson and Jamar Chase on the same team. I mean, they had better athletes than anyone else they went against to in college football that season. It was unbelievable. That is why they put up the stats that they did. No defense or DBs could match up against them. Joe Burrow, all he had to do was drop back and throw a Hill Mary. And one of them was going to come down with it.
3: So you're telling me Spielman doesn't have that kind of speed? Absolutely not. Jason, you were ready to build that guy a statue
0: out front after one game. All right, get ready, folks. t cells bringing us down these little loopholes where he tries to back into a corner. <laughs> I,
1: I think Joe Burrow would have been fine at Nebraska if he brought in five offensive linemen with him.
2: Yes. And that's that's an important part there to remember there as well, t cell is it is a lot different when you go from an Ohio State team to an LSU team versus coming from an Ohio State team to a Nebraska team, we do not have the same caliber of athletes in twenty nineteen that both of those teams had. Absolutely well, Biso, not,
3: Biso. You don't get to ride the um, Rayola train. Then you don't get to. I'll ride no, the Rayola train. Already- you don't get to. <laughs>
2: You were on the fire Matt Rule train last year. No, no, no. Listen
3: here, five star quarterbacks make the difference in college football. So I'll I'll take that and ride it with Briola. You don't get to till you
0: say that Tiso was right about Burrow. Well, let me let me get it started here first. Tiso and I are now off the train. The train was going in reverse. We weren't going for the fire. We were going for the Hall of Fame. OK, because he got the five star number one guy at the time, Dylan Rayola, who since dropped because he left an ESPN SEC school. Everyone knows it in Georgia. So they dropped his rankings. So happens. Whatever. We'll see what he does in college for these Huskers. But I do want to say that the number one thing that you got to look at is the hiccup in the Huskers is firing Bo Pelini. We have had nine seasons since Bo Polini has gotten let go. And we have one winning season, and it came with Bo Pelini's recruits.
2: Now, now, Jacell, before we before we turn the page here to the Bo Pelini firing, because I've got I've got some thoughts on that too. I do have one more thought here on the Joe Burrow thing, and Tsel, one thing that Joe had when he went to LSU, and even back when he was a backup at Ohio State, he had a center. He didn't have Cam Jergens throwing three snaps over his head throughout the game that puts you in first at, or second and 15, and you got a hold, and now it's second and 25. I mean, that offensive line for LSU was a heck of a lot different. And their center also is in the NFL now, just before you decide to say Cam Jergens is in the NFL. He's not playing center anymore for a reason. And Jason, I do have to agree with you here. I think the Bo Pelini fire is a blunder. I don't think it's the number one blunder that Nebraska football history has had, but I do think it's a big one. And it actually goes into my third one that I was going to bring up, which is the hiring of Sean Eichhorst and the hiring of Mike Riley that kind of came in tandem there. Both of them, terrible, terrible hires. And both of them set the program back at least another
3: 20 years. Now, before we jump on that, I gotta check Bisol here. He doesn't get to get. He doesn't get to just come in, and kick the can into the sunset just like that. Okay, we argued a lot of guys: centers in the NFL, wide receivers in the NFL, running backs of the NFL. But you know what the the differences. Adrian Martinez is not in the NFL. Joe Burrow is. That's the difference for you there, Bisol. That's the can kicked into the sunset. And Jay saw I'm with you 100. I mean, I agree. Bo Pelini firing. That was another one on my list. But mine wasn't just about the fire. it's more about firing with no direction. And as Wiesel said, that led us to Mike Sprinkles.
2: Yeah, I think when I think again when you when you look at that debacle from the athletic department, there it was again cookie cutter from two thousand three, and that is my number one blunder that we had. My number one issue is the hiring of Steve Pedersen. If that didn't happen. We would, have been, we would have been golden. We would have been, kept going there. You know, when Tom Osborne retired and Frank Solich took over, you know, the team took a step back there, but not a big one. And we were still competing. We were still competitive. And then when the issue happened, when Bill Byrne decided he was going to step down as our AD to take another job, and we turned around and hired Steve Pedersen, who was just a terrible hire Steve Pedersen's first act when he came in and put the crown on at Nebraska was I'm firing Frank Solich because I want my guy in here. And he said, we are not competitive. We're trending towards mediocre. And you want to know what we're going to do? We're going to get a top tier coach without calling anybody to see if anybody even wanted the job. Nobody wanted to be in Tom Osborne's shadow. Nobody wanted to come in to replace a team that just won 10 games Sorry, nine when they fired him, and then the ball game put him at 10. So they didn't have that luxury there. And then you settled on a coach who literally blew the Super Bowl to come in and take over. Ridiculous. Steve Pedersen's the biggest blunder in Nebraska football history.
3: Yeah, so I can't disagree with you there. I mean, when you make decisions like these, you don't have a direction of where you're going, you know. You end up heading the wrong way. And that's definitely what happened with the Peterson thing. How about you, Big Dog? What's your number one of the three on your list?
1: Yes, I, guess I uh, interpreted your uh, question a little different. <laughs> <laughs> I took it on uh, three things that I would go back and correct or change in Nebraska history. And I went, uh, I went pretty far back for my first one to um, what should have been Osborne's first national championship year, uh, 1982, when he took his uh, Huskers into Penn State and the officials took the game away. Nebraska took the lead with a little over a minute left in the game. And uh, Penn State was marching downfield. They got to, I don't know, right around the 30, 25-yard line in Nebraska. And, um, oh, what was the quarter? Uh, Blackledge. Blackledge, the quarterback for Penn State, threw a pass that was called complete at the two-yard line that the guy was clearly two yards out of bounds. Not two feet out of bounds, mind you two yards out of bounds it was called complete with nine seconds left and penn state ended up scoring from the two yard line to win the game um 27-24 they won by three and went on to win the national championship nebraska moved in front of them late in the polls because that was their only loss all year but then uh after penn state beat uh a terrible Notre Dame team, uh, Paterno was out, um, lobbying for, Hey, if we beat, if we beat this, if we can beat Notre Dame, we should move in front of Nebraska. And lo and behold, the, uh, the sports writers and the coaches that, uh, idolized Joe Paterno, um, uh, did exactly that. They beat a, uh, a mediocre at best Notre Dame team and didn't blow them out. Nebraska that same weekend, they weren't playing a powerhouse. I think it was Iowa state or something, but they beat them like 45 to 10 and dropped behind Penn state. And uh, so anyway, Penn state went on to win the national championship, but that was absolutely one of the worst calls I've ever seen in college or NFL, anything at a major level football to have a, a, a player two full yards out of bounds when he catches the ball and they call it complete. So back if we would have had back in the day, you didn't have a booth review, but if you did, that one definitely would have been overturned and Nebraska goes on to win the game and likely the national championship as that was their only blemish on the record uh, that year. Um, but again, it makes you wonder, you know, how an official, an official this day and age could not make a call that bad makes you wonder how, you know, did that official have money on the game Did he have, uh, was he a relative of one of the players on Penn state or did he just have no business whatsoever officiating or referee in uh, major college football game like that, but it was the worst call. Um, I've ever seen to be that that far out of bounds and called as a completed pass with the uh, nine seconds left in the game.
3: Now, Big Dog, you mm. want to get real for a sec, and I'll get real with you too. I'm all about these conspiracies. I'm all about people, you know, the conspiracies of people putting money on the game, reps putting money on the game, whatever. Let, let's talk about recent Nebraska history and add it on top of that. How do we have so many blown games and games that you look at it and say there's no possible way this team loses, and they do? Let's talk about that, too, in our conspiracies.
2: Now, Tiesel, what what Big Dog here, and Big Dog just to put out here, you didn't misinterpret the question or the assignment either because I've got one that's a change as well. Um, but the one thing you're taking away here. Is uh, and listen, I agree with you that it was blatantly out of bounds, should have been a national championship. All of this, you are taking away a lot of hard earned money from those street vendor t shirt sellers out in Lincoln, there where they were selling those uh t shirts with the uh sideline extended after the game. There,
1: yes, and then they further uh, jumped on it the next year. Alabama went up to Penn State and got screwed. Likely from the same official when their guy <laughs> caught the ball in the end zone and they called him out of the end zone. Because I remember there were t-shirts out there. Ever wonder where that where they found that extra three-yard strip along the Penn State Penn State sideline? Alabama found it on Saturday and they showed it the same section cut <laughs> right out of the end zone where he caught the ball. <laughs> So and back in those days, you know, let's face it, the uh, college officials probably weren't earning the money they are today. So maybe they had to make it up by gambling and uh, taking over games that way.
3: Well, I can promise you, big dog, they're still doing it in today's day and age based on some of these calls that I see go against Nebraska week after week. And let's talk about my one that went viral on Twitter after it happened when Michigan State blatantly tackles our wide receiver and the ball lands in front of them. And, oh, nobody makes a call. Why is that?
0: Well, you want to get into it. Their biggest scapegoat they can have is stands. Because they can't go back and they're not going to overturn it. But they're not going to go out there and say that they were 100% wrong either. They were just going to say, you know, we really didn't know. When in reality, you should either confirm it or deny it. I mean, you're not going back you're- to change it. You're going to make the call there. If you're going to go with what was called on the field, confirm what was out on the field. Don't go with stands because that is just their scapegoat for getting out and getting whatever they really wanted called called.
1: Okay, so Correct. I completely 100% agree with you there. You got video evidence in front of you. Make a damn decision or don't take that job. Get someone else in there who's willing to say yes, they were right or yes, you were or, they were wrong but none of this stands I agree with you and yeah you know, if
2: you're and, so if you're so sure about it on the field before it even goes to review then you should be sure of it coming out of review
3: and, and you know what maybe a lot of it's coming from the fact that the NFL and college football just don't have clear rules and when you leave a rule up for interpretation it's going to change based on the person making the call and that's why we see all these different calls and all these different games. Cause I watch baseball and their replays in baseball and their, their calls that they have to make are a lot closer than the football calls. I can promise you that.
2: I would agree with you T cell. I think the baseball replay has definitely come down to taking a look at a game of inches, as opposed to the football reviews that are more looking at it. And they're like, well, it kind of looked like he got his foot down, so um, I'm not really sure, but I'm gonna say yes, he did. That's a that's a stance because that's what we called on the field.
0: Yeah, it is oh. also 2024. We have technology nowadays where you can point a laser, and hey, guess what? If the NFL or college football needs a laser pointer, they can give me a call. JSO here on the Sully Scoop, and I will come out to every game and point the laser on the sidelines they have the ability to point a laser down the field to show a first down when it is crossed or not crossed. And in the Oregon Washington game, this was shown off and people in the booth didn't even see it. Kirk Herb Street was beside himself as everyone was saying the guy was short of the yards to gain for Washington. However, they went to review and all of a sudden this was shown on TV. I'm not sure if it was supposed to be shown on TV, but there was a laser they put down the field at the 25-yard line. The guy caught the ball, was clearly across the line, and all of a sudden everyone is freaking out on air that I've never seen this type of view. I have never seen a laser go down. And now we can tell clear as day that he did make the line to game. Why is that not on every single end zone? Why isn't that on, you know, the first down, the chains, the markers? Why doesn't that go across the field? I mean, they have the ability, and it is 2024. We have the, you know, 4K television, TVs, the cameras. We got everything. We could put 3D TVs. You're telling me I can't put a laser across the field to see a first down or not? This is – I am beside myself watching football games, but we are still playing or watching games like it's 1920 out here, and we got somebody riding a bike to get the TV going. We have lasers. Let's use them, and let's get the calls right.
1: Well, it's not even just the laser. It's the – they have the ability to, in some games I've watched them, where they zoom in. And it's a it's a clear picture. They zoom right into the nose of the football and the knee. I just think the guys doing the booth review, not all of them know what tools are available. It's like they've never been trained. And the guy out there um, that used the laser to show on the screen, he's probably playing around and figuring, oh, we got a laser here. Let's see how that works. But the other guys doing booth reviews across the country just don't understand how they weren't trained on the software and what exactly they can do. You very rarely see them zoom in. But when you do, it's like, why aren't they zooming in all the time? Why are you looking from, you know, so far back? Did it cross the goal line? Did he go out of bounds? And you can zoom right in on it.
3: And Big Dog, the reason is because it's who you're playing. If you're playing against Ohio State, they ain't zooming in for shit. I mean, let's be honest. But if you're playing against Iowa State, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll zoom in all the way. We don't care about those guys. Same thing goes for j Who are you playing? Who are you playing against? They pulled out all the bells and whistles for Washington and the laser. And why is that? Because Washington needed the boost to get into the playoff for the Pac-12 that doesn't exist anymore. Or does it? They did Nobody not need knows. the boost.
0: They did not need the the boost. boost. First of all, they beat a top 10 team in Oregon twice in the same year. Twice. And they came out as a nine and a half point underdog. Are you kidding me? Did we not watch the first game? It was an away game (laughs) on a neutral field. And guess what? Washington trounced them, went to the college football playoff. And what did they do? So... We got we could get back into the argument about Texas there, Tiso. that you said was one of the top teams in college football. And guess what happened? Washington knocked him off. Don't go touncing on Washington's name right here. Jason,
3: it had nothing to do with Washington. What I'm telling you is every team in the playoff needed the boost. Michigan needed the biggest boost of all because those guys stole everyone's playbook, and yet they were still allowed to play in the game. The Big Ten didn't care. They're like, hey, you're going to the playoff. Oh, then we don't care that you took everyone else's playbook. And unfortunately for Michigan fans, we're never going to stop talking about it because you guys cheated and stole the national championship. We're never going to stop talking about it. So you guys may as well just embrace it that, Hey, you may as well make print a shirt in Ann Arbor that says we stole everyone's playbooks. We stole the championship. We don't care. Cause that's what I would do at this point. That's what I'm telling our coaches to do steal everyone's playbooks Steal everything, nobody cares, win a championship, deal with the deal with whatever later. Who cares?
0: Okay. I want to ask you one one thing. How did Alabama get boosted to the national or to the college football playoff? We got them, folks. We got them. Jason they all got boosted. Were you
3: How listening or boosted? were you not listening? How did they get boosted? Money. Because money talks, Jason. They definitely okay. Espn we paid got the em. big bucks in the background, just like. NBC and ABC and whoever the heck else the Big Ten, you know, dealt up with. So Washington paid for the lasers. No one else paid for the lasers. You had to pay a couple million bucks before the season. Hey, do you want to boost out the lasers in your game? And everyone else,
0: you know, shrugged them off. Washington didn't. All I needed to know was you agree there's an SEC bias and the ESPN owns the SEC and they own college football playoff and they have the money and it's all about the money.
3: Well, what what's Michigan then? Are they the SEC bias there, Jason? Are you saying Michigan should have been in the
0: playoff? That's no, your, that's, they your bird they that's your odd ball out. That's your odd ball out. how are they, how are they the oddball ball out? They're not the oddball ball out. The they ball cheated would be an undefeated Florida State.
3: Michigan shouldn't have been undefeated. If they didn't steal everyone's playbooks, I highly doubt they go undefeated. And yeah, that could be taken as a hot take, but ultimately Jim Harbaugh didn't win Jack Crap without cheating. Let's be honest. He cheated all last year, too. So their undefeated Big Ten last year doesn't count. Throw it out. The guy's in the NFL now. He's gone because he can't win without cheating. He never won in the NFL. He got busted in the Super Bowl.
0: Yes, but I'm not saying that. I think they got boosted because of money, too. I think the... The Big Ten back then, because that was their only opportunity at that point to get to the college football playoff, and what do they want? They want exposure to get more money, and it's all about the money scheme and the money grab, and that is why they just buried their investigation, and that is why the NCAA investigation is still going on. That is why Jim Harbaugh left, because he knows it's going to be a crackdown. There's going to be sanctions on Michigan coming up here pretty soon, and it's all going to come to a fall. However, there's one thing that they're not going to be doing, They're not going to be taking away their national championship. They're going to let it slide. And it's just going to be, you know, everyone's going to put an asterisk next to it. However, the 2023 college football national champion is always going to be Michigan. And that is why there is no integrity left in the sport of college football. And if you're a coach in college football and you aren't cheating, you're just either stupid or you ain't trying. I mean there's no other thing to do. Take the slap to the wrist. You're still getting paid. Jim Arbaugh was getting paid the whole time. He's still getting paid and he won a national championship.
3: Right. That's all I'm saying there, Jay. I'm hundred percent with you.
2: Um, No, I agree that it's all a money grab. I'll give Jay that. And it's absolutely whoever greases somebody else's pockets. If you're close at the end of the season, you're going to get the nod.
0: Absolutely, and everyone listening to the Sully scoop, you heard it. Everyone, big dog, you can you can even get on my side too. Everyone, he already has. He let me know before is on jsol's side, and nothing new here, folks. Well, getting back on the topic, I guess on you know a downfall to the Huskers and something that we could go back and change, or you know what really hurt the program was the last Big 12 championship the Huskers were ever a part of. And just like Big Dog's type of call there, you know, the refs blew the game. The one second left on the clock, that would have changed the the outcome for the Huskers that year. And unfortunately, it boosted Texas into the BCS National Championship.
2: Yeah, that was actually on my list here as well, that phantom one second. Um, listen, the clock's hit zero. Everybody knows it hit zero. Then you've got all of a sudden, you know, they bust out the replay back in 2009, and we can zoom in and see. Oh, oh, look, right before it changes from one to zero, um, uh, it looks like the ball may have grazed the ground, and it was like the tip of the ball hit like a blade of turf, and they were like, that's enough to overturn that but we can't get we can't get confirmed on 90% of the other calls but that that little blade of turf was enough
1: yeah
0: see now you know what i find is interesting is that they could do that play and it stops the clock there however in nowadays college football you cannot spike the ball with under 2 seconds left in the game because according according to college football and the rules people that it takes more than two seconds to hike the ball and spike it.
2: Yes, Jason, but you could if you turned so around. So you could,
0: you could theoretically three seconds do it, and QB spike it. But,
1: but well, you're it telling
0: me you could throw the ball out of bounds with two seconds, and that wouldn't be a spike.
2: But there was there was more than two seconds left when the play I started. I know there
0: was I know there was. But I'm saying that they can stop is, the clock with one second. And according to them, it takes more than two seconds to QB spike the ball. When we, correct. I would say it takes less than that.
2: So what they're saying is that the motion of you hiking and then throwing the ball to the ground is going to tick off more than two seconds. What they're not talking about is a quarterback hiking the ball with, I think it was like 18 seconds left, running around like an idiot, and then throwing a rainbow pass out of bounds. As time expired. When did I ever say back.
0: that? I understand what they're saying. However, it would be stopping the clock at the same point. You're telling me it's going to take a full two seconds to get the ball from the center to the quarterback and drop it to the ground. That's going to take a full two seconds. No, I would say it's not. It's going to be at one second on the clock. I I still don't understand why, why this is an argument. That they can this. stop it's, the it's clock a- with one second. But in another scenario, they can't.
2: But if they if they hike the ball at three seconds to spike it and he throws it to the ground, they're going to give him one second. You're not losing that second. It's just a matter of they're telling you you can't hike it to spike it.
0: How can the they tell you mark? what you can and can't do? How can they theoretically the tell you? How could they theoretically tell you? That is what I am bringing up. How can they theoretically tell you that you can't do that? Because I can guarantee you I can go outside, take a hike, and drop the ball before two seconds is up. All right. And guess what? The clock ticks, and when it goes from one to zero, there's no decimals in between. It goes from that one. It could be 0.1 seconds. It's still going to show one second on the clock. Until it hits zero, 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 the clock is not going to hit zero. And therefore is what I think is BS about that rule. And if that is going to be the rule, then how can one second be on the clock when the ball hits the ground out of bounds?
2: Does anybody else want to try and take a stab at explaining to him that this is
0: two different things?
2: Well, I understand it's two
0: different things, but how can you stop the clock in one scenario, but not the other?
2: still can stop the clock if you're going to spike the ball. You can stop it down to one second. They're just telling you can't hike it at two seconds.
0: However, if you could theoretically do that in under two seconds, which is possible, I've seen it before in games. However, they just came out and said you can't do it. If you can get it to stop with one second, why can't you hike it with two seconds left on the clock?
2: Because the other side, too, is if you're running up to spike the ball, the clock's already running.
0: Okay, if the the ball hits the the ground with one second left, if the ball hits the ground with one second left, how are you going to say Less than a second to get up, hike it, and spike the ball now. I'm saying if they hike the ball with two seconds, where did less than a second come?
2: Because the clock's already running, so by the time they get ready to do it. You hike
0: it at two seconds. At two seconds. Less than a second. You hike it. But it's not like
2: they're hiking from a stop two-second mark. I don't care if you're hiking from a running two seconds
0: or a stop two seconds. It's two seconds. (laughs) Do you understand how uh,
2: stopwatch works or how time counts down or any of that?
0: So if you – if I'm out there and I'm going from a stop clock, right, you set it up so it's two seconds perfect, Okay. Now, what happens if I come up to the clock and, you know, I'm getting a hike and I call hike right at two seconds, right at it? You're telling me it's a different two seconds?
2: The clock's already running. You're not going to be calling it's hike a at two seconds. It's not faster
0: two seconds. Two seconds is two seconds. It's not faster because it was running but before. But the time will already be moving down. The official game clock <laughs> not doesn't not just faster.
2: start right when you do a hike. It's a delay.
0: Okay, so I hike it with 2.4 seconds. Okay, who cares? Listen, time doesn't speed up because it's been counting down for five seconds and I just happen to hike it at two. It's still two seconds. If you can get the ball to hit the ground at one second out of bounds, why can't you do that with a QB, you know, spike? That's nobody's, pretty much what I'm
2: saying. Nobody's saying you can't spike the ball and have one second left.
0: You just did. You said you are in it's impossible to do it two seconds. Well,
3: here's another issue. Why in basketball do we get the milliseconds when it hits 10 seconds or whatever, but we don't get that in football? Because for the and ball to what, hit that is for the ball to hit out of bounds, I guarantee you there wasn't a second left. There might have been a point one of a
0: millisecond. But that ain't a second. And that is where my argument is coming to there, Tso That it is going to show one on the clock until it is 0. .000 seconds. But BESOL is over here thinking two seconds of a running clock is faster than two seconds from a stopped clock.
2: I just don't understand how you don't grasp the rule that they put out. I don't get how you don't
0: grasp the rule. They're telling me, even if you I, spike the ball I'm with one second sure I on the understand clock, the rule. you spike the ball with one second on the clock, ball clearly hits the ground, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. However, you could hike the ball with 15 seconds on the clock, run around for 14 of them. Sorry. You know, 13, yeah, 14 of them. Screw it. 14. And then decide to throw the ball at the ground with one second left. As long as you hiked it before two seconds, you can clock it at one second. However, if you cl- if you hike it at two seconds, you cannot clock it at one second.
2: Yeah, I think you just answered your own question. As long as you hike it before two seconds, you can clock it and still. Why is that?
0: Line. Why is that? Because you can still get the ball to hit the ground with one second left on the clock.
2: Well, Jason, if you look here at my lovely rule book that I'm going to open for okay, the Okay, that is not,
0: I'm not arguing rule, that that's rule, the rules or
2: 194 not. 194 point A. You I'm may not. That. I am the saying, ball I am under saying, two seconds. Why can't you? you? must hype Why can't you?
0: can't you? What is the difference? What the, clock is the difference?
2: Shows two seconds.
0: What is the difference if
2: you hike the ball after? Because
0: uh, because a running seconds. two seconds is faster. That was your lo- logic here. Because a running clock, is, a no, running two has seconds not is faster.
2: That. I'm telling you that by the time so you get up here, there,
0: why does it but, matter if I hike the ball with two seconds or three seconds? If I can get the ball to hit the ground with one second,
1: let, let big idea. dog let big dog interject here a little bit <laughs> and say, sounds like this is a topic for another night. <laughs> i think folks they can
3: argue like this about this exact topic for three days straight but
2: you know i just have one last thing JSL. if you have questions about the rule why don't you call up mr russell wilson who had time expire on him twice trying to spike the ball under two seconds
0: well be so i'm also going to give him a call and maybe he'll have some knowledge on how a stop clock works maybe he knows if you know two seconds from a running clock is really faster than two seconds just starting. I'm sure he does know the difference. And maybe
1: you guys
3: need to give Mac Harbaugh a call and ask him how he had the officials in his pocket that whole game.
1: Okay. So getting back on topic. The next, my number two on the list of what I would go back and change in Husker history. And I'm going back a ways again. Um, I'd go back to the uh, 83 season. Osborne should have won back-to-back championships in the 82-83 season. In the 84 Orange Bowl, they went in, only undefeated team left, and he went for a two-point conversion rather than kick the extra point to tie. I think that was absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, The only thing I would change is I would have the pass completed if I could do it over again. But, um, but I do think it was the right call to go for two. Unfortunately, at that point in the game, their Heisman Trophy winner, Mike Rozier, was on the sideline with an injury, so he wasn't in the game, or I think they score there. His backup, the ball was tipped and went off the back shoulder of his backup, uh, who was in to replace him. And uh, Smith, I think, but Jeff Smith was the name. But uh, if Rogier was in the game, you could have either handed him the ball when he was out. There. I mean, he was virtually unstoppable all year. Um, hence, that's why he won the Heisman Trophy. And um, other than that, if you didn't go to Jeff Smith, uh, back in that day, I had a, a friend who played at the university I would have had the ball thrown to him, Scott Kimball, the wide receiver who was in the same quadrant. He was back behind. They opted to go to the short man, Jeff Smith, but uh, Scotty uh, Kimball was in the back of the end zone. Would have been nice to see him get the ball and and win the game. But if I could go back and change it, the outcome would have been uh, the two point conversion was good and Nebraska wins and uh, wins back to back national championships.
2: I couldn't agree more, Big Dog. And, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of sportscasters still to this day question um, T.O. on that call and going for two. But what everybody doesn't remember or doesn't understand. And just to recap here, like you said, for everybody listening into into the scoop. In that Orange Bowl, there was no overtime. This was before college overtime. So if Nebraska had kicked the extra point, they would have tied, probably still would have been ranked number one with that tie there. But you have an opportunity there to cap an undefeated season. You go for it 10 out of 10 times. You want that win outright. You don't want that win or that, you know, asterisk next to your name when you're ranked number one.
0: Well, okay, so and I'm so, just checking. I'm just here, checking. Was the clock at two seconds? Just
3: That's besides the point there, Jay. So, here's what I'm going to say. The issue I have with the play call in that day and age is not with how the game turned out. It's with how the voters turned against T.O. when it came that time to vote. Because they look at it and say, well, Miami won the game, so check. It's like, well, everybody and their mom knows they could have tied and then you know Miami's not the better team, so you still should have voted in Nebraska to be number one in the country because Miami didn't win them. Nebraska could have kicked the extra point to tie the game, and if there was overtime, like there is now.
1: So and a lot of and the other thing with that uh, T. So a lot of people don't look back and realize, but that was a home game for Miami. They play in the Orange Bowl in Miami. Uh, which is a huge advantage, no matter what anybody says. It's like uh, when the Big Ten would go play USC in the Rose Bowl. That's really a home game for USC. It's a big uh, advantage if uh, you know go to the NFL and let your uh, one of your dominating Super Bowl teams play at home all the time when they go and see uh, see how easy they are to beat.
3: Exactly, but that. That that would have been my argument, and maybe for them to split it, but I get that's not how split um national champs work, you know, that the two polls had to literally be split. But I'm surprised that all the coaches and all the media turned on Nebraska and TO in that day and age because if you actually watch that game, you can't say that Miami deserved to win that game based on how the end played out. Like you you could have you would have just been voting saying, well, he should have kicked it and tied, and then at that point you know, maybe there's a split decision or, you know, you just give the nod to one or the other, but Miami didn't actually win that game. And Miami knows they didn't win that game. Overtime would have had to decide that game. And that's why Tio was like, let's go for two. Cause I don't really have a choice. He felt like he didn't have a choice and the voters turned on him. He should have got voted, you know, number one in the national champ because Miami didn't beat them.
1: No, 100% agree that uh, if they looked at it, and you looked at the stats just on paper, they both had one loss, a loss to Miami in Miami was a better loss than what they had. And if you looked at their uh, the team all year, Nebraska had, if not the best ever, one of the best ever offenses in uh, college football history, averaging 50 points a game. I mean, that was the first game that was even close. Um, and they just opted to go for two Osborne after the game, you know, and, and still to this day, he he said, I felt, um, you know, if, if you're going for a national championship, you should go for the win and not settle for the tie. But yes, it would be totally different today when you just kick the extra point and go to overtime and let – the better team come out on top.
3: Yeah. But I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, voters and media and everybody didn't have a backbone back then, just like they don't have a backbone these days. They gifted Miami that championship, just like they gifted Michigan this year's championship.
2: Now, one other thing that I just want to tie in here before we uh, wrap the page up on 1983 uh, Nebraska did, while they were in the Big Eight, play two big, they weren't in the Big 10 now, but now currently two Big 10 opponents in that game, in that season there. And I got to tell you guys, so, those two scores would just be so sweet to see these days. Even next year, if Matt Rule could pull that off against Penn State, 44 to six against Minnesota in Minnesota, 84 to 13. God, those would just be
0: fantastic to see this coming year.
1: Yes, totally agree.
0: <laughs> well, if you want to get on that topic here, B, so let me dive into something real quick. Now, this isn't going off of, you know, my list or anything like that, the the three topics we were going to bring up. However, Scott Frost comes in with an average, his winning percentage of 340 in What is it? For five years, he went 16 and 31 with 340. And we hired Matt Rule after that. Now, let me take you way back to 1957. William Jennings was hired. He coached for five seasons. He went 15 and 34. He had a winning percentage of 310. Pretty comparable if you ask me. The Huskers, after firing William Jennings, went on to hire Bob Devaney, who coached 11 years with a record of 101 and 20. With two ties, he went with a record, or sorry, a winning percentage of 829. I think this could be history repeating itself just like T-cell always likes to bring up. Well,
3: it didn't pan out for me last time and I was way off with that uh, best 3-9 and team all time. So I hope you're not way off with this one.
1: Yeah, T-cell,
2: I think all of us would be happy if history repeated itself in this case here. And that's a fun stat you brought up there, J-cell. But let's get back to it. I've got Two of the three for each person here, Cell. what is the second thing you would replace with Nebraska football or go back and change?
3: You mean third thing? My second thing was firing Bo Pelini with no direction, which led us to Mike Sprinkles. So my last thing is I would change that Nebraska would have beat Wisconsin in the first Big Ten game. I'm not saying the Big Ten championship. I mean, that would have just come on its own. I'm saying the first Big 10 game I think if Nebraska came in and bullied Wisconsin the way that they bullied us if those were reversed I think you know Nebraska's history would have completely been changed over in talking with Big 10 history.
2: Yeah, I think that would be that would have been a big change of events and it really would have shown that Nebraska came in ready to play in the Big 10 so to speak.
3: Yeah, but unfortunately they had to do You know, they pretty much had to change over the entire roster, and at that point, you know, the AD lost faith in in Bo Pelini, and, you know, the rest is history. And I think the four uh, California schools coming in, they might get a taste of the same direction. And I'm specifically talking about USC. I think USC is in deep doo-doo with the Big Ten.
2: TESOL, just to put out there, the AD didn't lose – didn't lose faith in uh, Bo Pelini when they came into the Big Ten. AD was Tom Osborne until Tom stepped down and then they hired Sean Eichhorst. Icors wanted his own guy. That's why Bo Pelini was out. Same reason that Frank Solich was let go.
3: Yeah, I'm not saying he lost faith when they joined the Big Ten. I said they lost faith with him as they were transitioning to be a Big Ten team.
2: But it was two years after they were a Big Ten team. It
3: was more than two years after. He coached 11, more than two years in the Big Ten.
2: So he coached he coached three, was let go during um, right before the end of the 13 season. But yes, the it's like I said earlier, it's history repeated itself earlier. You know, it's 10 years removed, but it was basically the uh Steve Petterson. Firing Solich with no direction, and it was Sean Dykhouse firing Bo Pelini with no direction, and it was just simply, "I want my guy in here to make a mark and make a name for myself."
3: Yeah, and I think that's uh, a lot of the negative history when it comes to Nebraska is knee jerk reactions. Like, yeah, everyone's sick of going nine and four or ten and four if you made the the Big Twelve or Big Ten championship. We get that, but just because you know people are mad and the media is getting on you, it doesn't mean you have to make a change or make a decision. You know, let the play on the field make the decision. Same thing with Soaps. Like, I get the guy went seven and seven, but then the next year he went nine and three, as Bissell said. You know, they won the bowl game, so. I can't say that they would have lost it if Solich wasn't there, but so you fired a guy after going 10 and three doesn't make any sense. If you wanted to fire him, fire him after he goes seven and seven, not 10 and three. It just doesn't make any sense. If, if they well, made the knee jerk reaction after all the stuff that big dog was going through with in 82 and 83, I mean, we would have never saw the nineties. We would have never saw it.
2: Now T cell just to, just to put out there, Uh, Frank Solich was let go after the last game before the bowl game. So he did finish the season nine and three, the team won the bowl game with Bo Pelini as their interim head coach. And it is kind of ironic. Like I said, with history repeating itself, that was 2003, nine and three team fired head coach. Who's been there um, six years fired by a new AD coming in who wanted to make his mark. Bo Pelini, 2000. I apologize. I said 2013. It was 2014. Big whoop, but fired a coach been there seven years fired after a nine and three season interim guy comes in and takes over. However, Barney Cotton didn't win the game. Barney lost that bowl game, that holiday bowl. Um, but it's the same thing. It's Nebraska hasn't gotten past the point of finding an AD who doesn't need to make a mark on the program until Trev Albert's Trev coming in has really, you know, given us this um, consistency factor, and he's come in, he knows who he is, what his role is, what his job is, and he's letting things take place on the field. He gave Scott Cross every opportunity to have success with that football team, and it didn't happen, and he moved on. Same thing, the whole um, transition from Darren Ertstadt to uh, Will Bolt, Will Bolt has stepped in and kind of continued the same success there uh, that Ernst had when he stepped away. You've got John Cook, who's never going to leave, but I'm sure they're talking about some type of a succession plan there. And Trev's going to listen and he's going to let it play out. And he's going to, you know, there's no panic from him, which is fantastic to have at the AD office for once.
3: Yeah. It, it just makes you think if, if they had the patience with Solich or with Bo Pelini where would we be sitting today? Because if you don't fire Solich, then you don't have Callahan. That's a positive in Nebraska history. If you could just wipe out Callahan, if you don't fire Pellini, you never have Mike Riley or Scott Frost, another positive in Nebraska football history.
0: Yeah. Well, let me bring up my third topic then here. I can agree with that. I mean, Trev Alberts is doing a phenomenal job, and you want to know something? He wasn't the only one inside the door there. Tom Osborne was also alongside looking for a coach with him, and he also consulted Tom Osborne a whole lot before making the decision to go with Matt Rule, who also had talks with Tom Osborne himself before taking the job, which almost makes you think that Tom Osborne finally found a guy that – Doesn't care if he's in his shadow, but Tom Osborne almost didn't want to, you know, step in the way here once again. So hopefully Tom Osborne will be able to see another national championship here in his lifetime. But it would be my regret was leaving the Big 12 when we did and how we did. Now, looking at today, I am glad we're in the Big 10. Obviously, the Big 10 is the, you know, better marquee conference. They're, you know, the money grabbing conference. They're at a great opportunity that they're going to be putting teams in the college football playoff and have an opportunity to play for a national championship. However, Nebraska came in with no other teams with them. There was no other Big 12 style playing team. So this is where I think it was the downfall for the Huskers. They had to jump in and learn Big 10 football, smash mouth football and it was who they were playing week in, week out. Didn't really matter. And this is where I would disagree that I don't feel like the Pac-12 teams jumping in are going to have as hard of a uh, transition because they are still going to be able to play teams that play Pac-12 style football.
2: Yeah, I mean, Jaisal, I I agree. I think think the Pac-12 teams will have the consistency because they'll still be playing each other. Um, However, I do have to disagree with you on this part And as much as everybody, you know, wants to go back and they're like, oh, we shouldn't have left the Big 12 or we should have waited. We should have done this. We should have done that. If we didn't leave the Big 12 to come to the Big 10 when we did. And let's just say everything played out the same way it did. But we were in the Big 12. Right. So Bo Pelini ends up getting fired four years later. They try to find a coach who's the exact opposite. Let's say we still end up with Mike Riley. Where does this football program go from? If they are in a dying Big Twelve, playing losing football, nobody's going to bring them to your conference. It doesn't matter how big our brand is.
0: They wouldn't be losing football team if they were still playing in the Big Twelve. And be so. I,
3: I don't think the Big Twelve would be dying if Nebraska stayed. And I think that's. I think that's the issue because if if you talk about blue bloods in college football. The Big 12 had the most. They had Texas, Oklahoma, and Nebraska. No one else had more than two. I mean, the Big Ten, you know, added Penn State, I guess. So they have Ohio State, but, Michigan, and Penn but State. Diesel,
2: there, is, there, is a reason, there is a reason that Texas and Oklahoma both left the Big 12. Mm-hmm. If Nebraska was still in there, that wouldn't have stopped Oklahoma and Texas from saying, hey, listen, if we want to, if we want to continue to grow, get more revenue, do this. We got to get out of the Big 12. And that says a lot, considering Texas runs the Big 12. The only Big 12 network that's out there is the Longhorn Network, which talks exclusively about Texas everything. And they are leaving that on the table to go to the SEC. That tells you what you need to know about staying in the Big 12. Nebraska left because they weren't getting a fair vote in any aspect of it. It was all about Texas all the time, all this, all that. We got screwed out of everything. We left. We abandoned ship. Everybody stuck around who did, except for Colorado for a while. Mizzou left, all of that. They still decided to leave. Texas left a conference that they were manhandling. That tells you what you need to know about that conference.
3: Well, so what I'm telling you is this there, Visa. Colorado was the first one to jump ship. They were the first one gone and now they're back. But what I'm getting at is if you take away the politics, okay. If Nebraska doesn't leave, I don't think Missouri leaves. And I don't think Texas A&M leaves. So there's no reason for the big 12 to panic. If anything, the big 10 is the one panicking because you know, they're the ones with the bad reputation of getting blown out in bowl games. It's not, it's not the big 12 with Nebraska. So what would have happened with the Pac-12 if, if nobody left, you know, maybe USC and UCLA are coming to the big 12 instead of the big 10 because the big 12 is a little closer, you know?
2: (laughs) No, I, I, I think the big 12 was dying well before Nebraska decided to abandon ship.
0: How could you even say that was the Pac-12 dying before that? Was the Pac twelve dying?
2: Pac twelve's been dying for years.
0: Why do you think the only TV deal and media deal they got was for Apple TV? So you're telling me when Nebraska left the Big Twelve, it was already dying. The Pac twelve was already dead at that point. The
2: Pac twelve wasn't dead, but the Pac twelve was very much dying. The fact that the fact that Pac Twelve is
0: officially dead.
2: College before the Pac-Twelve is officially dead now. Yes. And when you before the Big Twelve. Yes. And when you look at it, Jaisal, look at who the demographic is that's watching football. College football nationwide. You've got East Coast, Midwest, Mountain West, West Coast. Who's watching Pac-12 games? Me. Um, Congratulations. The people watching it are the West Coast time slot. You don't have anybody on the East Coast staying up that long to watch crap football. You have very minimal Midwesterners staying up to
0: watch crap football. They were arguably the best conference in college football this year. Congratulations. Took them long enough.
2: Half their teams decided they were leaving before the season, and then they decided to play well. So what does that tell you about it?
0: They have a tells you that the conference decided USC. to pull
2: out all the stops at the end when they knew they were dying, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, do we cling to do we cling to Washington State and do we build around Washington and Oregon State? Do you think we can get a BYU to leave and come back here? No, nobody cares. Nobody wants to watch Apple TV. Nobody wants to watch Pac-12 football. They want to see those big name schools compete against big name schools elsewhere."
3: Exactly like so the Big dying. 12 wasn't dying cuz yeah. you had Nebraska, so they, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, AM, even
2: USC, Oregon, again, Washington, the Big 12 all... The Big 12 was dying to yourself because they weren't taking into account the rest of the conference. It was all what Texas wants, what Texas does, what Texas gets. Yes, I'm i, I all about I, them. I,
1: I would disagree. say Texas was killing the big 12 at the time, it was all about Texas. They had, you know, Nebraska wanted to start their own TV network and Texas who was run, Who was in charge of the big 12 at the time said, absolutely not. You can't have your own TV network. So Nebraska made the decision to join the big 10 and what happens the next year? Oh, well, and behold, Texas starts their own TV network. So Texas was what was killing Texas has been the kiss of death everywhere. The old Southwest Conference was run by them. They ran it into the ground, brought four teams into the Big Eight to make it the Big 12. And then, you know, for whatever reason, and probably money, because there's a lot of money in Texas, they started running the Big 12. But ultimately, it's all dollars. And, you know, the SEC gets a lot of TV coverage. Nobody wants to, you know... I don't think they're any better than the Pac-12 when you're saying no one wants to stay up late and tune in to watch a Pac-12 football game. Uh, I don't know that anyone's chomping at the bit to watch, you know, Mississippi play unless they're playing Alabama or um, LSU. The whole reason they're doing well is because, They've got their own TV network, and it's called ESPN slash ABC. That's the whole reason the Big Ten's doing well. They've got their own TV network, the Big Ten network. So the Pac-12 was missing the boat by not having their own TV. The Big 12 was missing it because they had Texas TV. They didn't have a Big 12 TV network, and the same thing with the ACC, And that's where it all came down to now, the Big Ten and the SEC, because they're the only ones with their own, really, TV networks. And uh, the SEC just happens to be ESPN is their network. They, you know, promote SEC games. They televise all the SEC games. So that is their network.
3: Not arguing that there with you, Big Dog. I'm just saying, if you took the politics out of it, I get what Texas was doing and what Texas is. I'm saying if you matched up conference to conference, no other conference could match the Big 12 if they could work together with Texas, Oklahoma, and Nebraska. No other conference came close to them. I don't care if the Big 10 had Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. That doesn't match Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Texas. Quite frankly, it does not.
1: Yes, at the time, they were doing okay, but... Texas running the Big 12 did not have the foresight. I, I mean, the TV dollars just have jumped off the charts for college sports. They they weren't paying that much. You know, we should go back to 2000, 2005, 2010. The money that they're paying now that, that the Big Ten Network gets, and now that they've um, partnered, who they partner with, they they got the biggest uh Dollar, um amount out there um with the last tv deal they signed and it kind of snow you know snubbed espn which pissed him off
0: do big dog what is the last thing that you would change about the huskers
1: to go back and and rewrite history i uh, i'd like to go back to the uh 93 orange Bowl the 92 season and Nebraska had one second on the clock lined up and uh, tried a 45 yard field goal that went just wide left uh, if that if that field goal's made and 45 let's face it the, the kicker they had was was good enough to make that I mean it's not like the kick was short he just, it just hooked off to the left a little. But if they make that, they win three national championships in a row. They went on uh, and won the the 94 and 95 seasons. That would have given them the 93, and they won again in 97. So it would have been four out of five years had that 45-yard field goal gone in. and Instead, it gave Florida State their first national title.
3: Yeah, Big Dog's all about setting up Nebraska's history. Meanwhile, the T-Sol, b and J-Sol tried to set up the future history.
1: <laughs> well, I think we've got that in the right direction with Rule, to be honest. And I'm watching him, and he's a recruiting machine. So absolutely, he, is, he just has just got to pay
2: stop. Yeah. So just to recap for all the listeners here, let's go uh, down the list here. Jason, what were your three things that you were going to change?
0: Uh, Joining the Big Ten and how they did it at the time, I think they joined maybe a little early and maybe just without any other teams. I think that really hurt them in that standpoint. The one second left in the Big 12 championship game against Texas, I think that you know, really was the downfall, especially when they were already leaving the big 12 um, as a decision. And then that's really how you go out. It was almost, you know, everything was in Texas's way. So I think that also helped force Nebraska out of there and help them make their decision. And the firing of Bo Pelini, you got a coach with a, an above 700 uh, record uh, winning percentage. I think there's no way you go out there and you fire him after a nine win season. And I think, you know, we've seen the dividends of what happens when you do that.
2: Diesel, how about you? Recap your three options, or your three
3: things. My three things was just not going after Joe Burrow, one of the best quarterback prospects we've seen. He wanted to play at Nebraska. and Nebraska ties, and Scott Ross dusted him off. And, you know, another five-star guy in, in Rayola. Scott Frost dusted off. So I think Scott Frost just doesn't understand what good quarterbacks can do for a football team. Um, number two was firing Boccolini not having a direction of where to go, which led us to Mike Riley. And then my last one was if we would have just beat Wisconsin in that first Big Ten game and how that would have set us up.
1: How about you, Big Dog? Recap your three. Yeah, so my first one was to go back to the 82 season and uh, correct the mistake the official made on uh, awarding Penn State a completed pass two yards out of bounds. And uh, actually, little known fact, uh, Mike McCloskey, the guy who caught the pass, uh, admits that it wasn't even close. He was clearly out of bounds. Uh, He didn't admit it that day, but. He does today. He says, oh, absolutely. It wasn't even close. I was out of bounds. But that was one. Second one was to go back to the uh, 84 Orange Bowl when uh, Nebraska missed a two-point conversion uh, to win the game and ended up losing to Miami 31-30. I'd love to have that, you know, chance at that again and have that two-point conversion good or at least have all the starters in the game, having, you know, Mike Brazier in the game, not hurt on the sidelines. Uh, so he would have been in for that play. Um, and then my third one was to go back to the uh, 93 Orange Bowl, uh, where Nebraska ended up losing 18-16 to Florida State because they missed a 45-yard field goal as time expired. So I'd love to go back and have that field go through and have Nebraska win. That would have been the first of three in a row national championships.
2: Although it sounds like it would have been three more national championships total with the way you're counting there, Big
1: Dog. Well, that would have been three in a row from 93, 94, 95. But yes, they would have won in 82 and 83 as well.
2: And then to uh recap my three were the hiring of Steve Petterson in 2003. Um again, I I think there could have been better options out there in 2003 for an athletic director when uh Bill Byrne decided to step down to take the job at AM. Uh my second thing was the 2009 Big 12 Championship game. Uh that one second left, I mean that just that really was the straw that broke the camel's back when we were making our way out of, um, out of the big 12. And then again, my third one is the hiring of Sean Eichhorst when Tom Osborne decided he was stepping down as athletic director, which in turn led to the hiring of Mike Riley, which really those, that tandem there was the worst, worst that I think Nebraska has ever seen And maybe that in all of college football has seen in a new athletic director, new head coach coming in and really just decimating a program.
0: Well, I think these are all good ones that have gone the other way. It would have turned the Huskers, you know, history and what we have today and, you know, for the future. However, I do think that Matt Rule hire is officially starting to pay off, especially when you get a five star in Dylan Rayola. But thanks for joining us for another episode of the Sully Scoop. You're here with JSA. B so and T so and joining us this week, our special guest, Big Dog.
1: Thanks again for having me on. It's uh looking forward to, like I said earlier, another uh big red football season this year.
0: Absolutely, yeah, as we all are. And yep, thanks for coming on. But uh, don't forget to follow and like, and you can catch us on X at Sully underscore Scoop or on our Facebook page. If you just search the Sully Scoop,
2: go big red.